today on Abounding Grace. You and I should be ready in season and out of season for whatever God has for us. We shouldn't be shocked and surprised that some new person started to work with us, that somebody stole our parking space at Safeway or whatever. And, and just like a pastor, just like a Bible teacher can study the Holy Spirit out of the Bible, so can a believer plan the Holy Spirit out of your life and be so caught up in your own plans and your own thoughts and whatever's on your plate today that you're not open like Jehu is to the sudden work of God in your life. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set free. Very often, God is wanting to do a fresh work in and through our lives, but are we open to that? Maybe like many, you're sort of resistant to change and inflexible. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn, among other things, that it's wise to be ready, in season and out of season, for whatever God has for us. Like the king we'll meet today, it could be that the Lord has a sudden change in mind for your life. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Kings 9. Chapter 9, as we continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of 2 Kings, beginning in verse 1, it says, Elisha, the prophet, called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Take this flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth Gilead. Now when you arrive in that place, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, And just so you know, this Jehoshaphat in verse 2 is not the same Jehoshaphat of the king of Judah. So you can keep it all sorted out. So go find Jehu, uh, the son of Nimshi, and go in, uh, son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, go in and make him rise up from among his, his associates, take him to an inner room. Then take the flask of oil, pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee, and do not delay. And so the young man and the servant of the prophet went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived, there were the captains of the army sitting, and he said, I have a message for you, O commander. And Jehu said, For which one of us? And he said, For you, commander. And then he arose, went into the house, poured the oil on his head, and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over, over the people of the Lord, over Israel. You shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, and I may avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of, the, of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. Verse 8. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. And I will make of the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. The dog shall eat Jezebel in the vicinity of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. Can you imagine that? Just go in, take care of business, and get out. Uh, Verse 11. Then Jehu came out to the servants of his master, and one of them said, Is all well? Why did this madman come to you? And he said to them, You know the man and his babble. And they said, A lie. Tell us now. 
And so he said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And then each man hastened to take his garment, put it up under on the top of the steps, and they blew the trumpet, saying, Jehu is king. Now don't forget, again, our our focus has been on Elisha. Uh, God has turned to Elisha so that we can follow his ministry. But the backdrop of the ministry of Elisha is to the divided kingdom between Judah and Israel and how most of the kings throughout this time period, this history, have abandoned God and the people have jumped headlong into idolatry. And Jehu here is a reminder that God hasn't forsaken his people. He is still giving them the leaders that are needed or the leaders that will be in that place of kingship that he hasn't abandoned them and he hasn't forgotten them. I think that's really encouraging. He hasn't forgotten what Ahab has done. And he hasn't forgotten what Jezebel has done. And vengeance will be exacted. Isn't that what the Bible says? Some of you have situations in your life right now where the temptation is to take vengeance into your own hands and to take care of the situation yourself. And you've got an idea of how to take care of it. And you've got an idea of what will make you feel good in exacting the kind of vengeance that you want. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And isn't that one of the hardest things to do is just to back off and let the Lord do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it. We're so quick to defend ourselves and so quick to answer every accusation and so quick to answer every issue and all the gossip that's out there. Just let the Lord take care of it. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You have enough in your own life, do you not, to just keep your eyes firmly fixed on the Lord. He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And you don't need any more distractions. You don't need any more things taking your mind off the Lord. Because if you take your mind off of the things of God, then the perfect peace that comes is going to dissipate. And you'll be all in turmoil. And so vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And God is setting it up. Elisha gets this young prophet, someone who responds to him. I like that. I have an underline in verse 1. One of the sons of the prophets. It wasn't two. It wasn't three. He called one. And one came. And I I like that. This God calls to us. He calls to us one at a time. And I pray that we would respond one at a time. So Elisha tells him, go in, find Jehu, anoint him king, and get out of Dodge. And that's exactly what he did. And I like this in the life of Jehu now. Because Jehu is there with his commanders. He's in a group. And suddenly, suddenly, what they believed to be a madman, because it must have been really, you know, an amazing thing to see. Coming in, taking care, and then he's taken off, you know. So they just see him come into a private room, and they see him come in, and they see him run out. And they go, what's this madman doing? That's how, that was what his appearance was. But you got to put yourself in Jehu's shoes for a moment and just think how quick this happened. He was just going through life, just doing what he would do pretty much every day speaking to his commander, speaking to those that were serving with him. And immediately this guy comes in. And all of this happened suddenly in the life of Jehu. He didn't really know how his day was going to unfold. And yet he received it from the Lord. He accepted it. And I believe it's always good for us to remain open to the fresh new work of God in our lives at any time on any day. It seems as if day become monotonous and mundane and filled with all kinds of little tasks and little things that we do repetitively all the time. 
And I believe if we're not careful, all the mundaneness of life will desensitize us to the work of God in our lives and how suddenly something can happen, how quickly things can change. And it's always good to remain open to the work of God in our lives at any moment because His will is not something that we can schedule into our lives. It's not that Jehu can say, okay, we're going to go through this, we're going to have this meeting, and then out of the blue, this madman's going to come in and anoint me king. We'll we'll put that at one o'clock. It's not like we need to be open. Uh, Jot this down. Let me read it to you. Jot it down. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells, tells young Timothy something that is very good for us to be reminded. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. He tells young Timothy, in the ministry, Timothy, be ready in season and out of season to preach the word. Stay in a place of readiness. And the idea of in season and out of season is when you expect it and when you don't expect it. When you're ready for it, you know, when you're kind of expecting something to come, it'd be, be ready for the appointments, but also be ready when it's not an appointment, when something happens suddenly, where the Holy Spirit descends upon you and has a new fresh work for you or a new direction or, or you were going in one direction and God says, I want you to go in this direction or you had an appointment, but then your schedule had to change and just be ready in season and out of season. I like that phrase. It's something that I impress upon the men and women that serve alongside of me often. Be ready in season and out of season. What that looks like for a young man that wants to move into the ministry and wants to maybe become a teacher or exercise the gift of teaching, I I tell them and and I, I say that you should be ready at any time to take your Bible, open it up, and share from it without any notes. You should be able to open up the Bible read a scripture, give the sense of it, give the, and just, you know, you go, I don't know, Ed, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't know what it says, and I'm not sure. What, and and I, you just depend upon the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you can be so overprepared that you're more dependent upon your notes than you are the Holy Spirit. Not that your notes couldn't be used by God. Of course they could, because you were praying and preparing them at some time. And yet, the moment, God is always moving in the moment, And I'm reminded of that in my own life because as a pastor, in order to accomplish all that I want to accomplish, in order to to have appointments and to meet with people, and in order to do all the things that are really fun in the ministry, I have to study really, really hard. And one of the things that I like to do is I like to get ahead in my studies. I like to be a few weeks ahead because that way, because I, first of all, I don't operate very well last minute. I don't like that pressure. Some of you love the last minutes. I don't thrive on the last minute. Uh, I, I like to be prepared and ready. Uh, and, and so I prepare weeks in advance. And, and I'm praying in the moment, and I'm going through the text, and I'm jotting down the notes, and, and then right before I deliver it, I pull it out, I edit it up, I prepare it for it. But then when I deliver it, whether it's in this congregation, or I have the privilege of being at a conference, or doing a workshop, or even teaching at another church, I want to be in the moment because the group is different. I'm praying for you when I'm studying, but I don't know who's going to be here. I don't know what's going on in your life on this particular day, in this particular moment. 
And then there's the, 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 the thought of, man, this is going to be on the internet, so somebody's going to be listening to it at any time during the day or night. And then it's going to be cut up and edited uh, in order to air on the radio around the country, and then that's going to air. Who knows when this study's going to air, but it's going to air at just the right time for someone with just the right word so that God will be able to use it. And even the, uh, a special word from the Lord or a new direction or a new application is going to be, not in my notes, is going to be used by God in the moment. And we need to be ready in season and out of season. For a guy that's teaching the Bible, for a gal that's going to teach the Bible, you should be able to in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the moment, suddenly be called upon, open up your Bible and start telling, telling us what it says and what does God mean by it and what is his will for our lives from the text. We should be able to do that. We shouldn't be so caught up. In, now, don't misunderstand me. I do believe uh, the Bible teaches us to study, to show ourselves approved, but I have met people that have studied the Holy Spirit right out of the Bible. They've studied it completely where now it's just their relationship with their notes and they forgot that it's God's will to meet with his people, not the pastor's will to meet with his notes. You say, Ed, what does that have to do with me? Because that's pretty much not what I do most of the time. Good question. You and I should be ready in season and out of season for whatever God has for us. We shouldn't be shocked and surprised that some new person started to work with us, that somebody stole our parking space at Safeway or whatever, whatever it might be. I, I don't know if you guys saw recently, but our friend John Moreland, did you guys see that on the news? The brother's doing a funeral across town because he's in the honor guard. John Moreland is a pastor friend of ours, Denver Bible Christian Church, uh, and he's been here many times to share. He's doing a memorial over at the cemetery at, in the honor guard. He's in the honor guard. That's what he does. He's still uh, in the reserves. And while he's doing something, while he's doing the service in the honor guard, somebody came into the cemetery and ripped his car off, drove right out of the cemetery with it, with all of his notes, with all of his, his every, everything that was in there, uniforms, his computer, everything was in there. And the brother was at ready in season and out of season because he didn't plan that day to be interviewed by the news. And he didn't plan that day to have people begin to talk to him about, well, how do you feel and what's going on? And he didn't plan that day, but he was ready in season and out of season. And, and just like a pastor, just like a Bible teacher can study the Holy Spirit out of the Bible, so can a believer plan the Holy Spirit out of your life. And be so caught up in your own plans and your own thoughts and whatever's, got, whatever's on your plate today that you're not open like Jehu is to the sudden work of God in your life. The sudden work. Be ready in season when you're expecting it. Because I think when we come to a gathering like this, we come expecting to hear from the Lord. And those of you that came expecting to hear from the Lord, you're going to hear from God. God's going to minister to your heart. The Word of God is going to speak to you, encourage you, exhort you, convince you, all of the things that the God, Word of God does. But what about when you don't expect it? What about when you go to work? I don't think you so much go to work expecting to hear from God. Now, some of you might protest. Well, wait a minute, Ed. You know, I work at the church. Well, okay, so not you. <laughs> not you. But, but I mean, in, in the mundane things of life, I don't know how much you're going into your cubicle going, I want to hear from God today. Some of you are like, you go into your cubicle and go, man, I just want to make it through the day. I just want to make it through. I just want to make it through all the people I'm going to see today and all the things and all that meeting and all, I just want to make it through the day. You need to be ready in season and out of season because God is on the move everywhere. His word is alive. 
the psalmist describes it in Psalm 119 that the word of God is running swiftly. I love that, swiftly. And so we're ready in season, out of season, living life with a readiness, an openness, and a willingness for all that God has for you when it's expected and when it's not. So for Jehu, he becomes the 10th king of Israel and he ends up reigning for 28 years. This sudden change in his life changed the course of his life for the next 28 years or the rest of his life. Now, go back to verse six for a second. In verse six it says, then he arose and went into the house and he poured oil on his head. And this is no, when you come up for the anointing of oil, you know, when the Bible says any one of you is sick, come to call the elders and we'll anoint you with oil. We, we have little containers over here and we'll put oil on our hand and we'll anoint your forehead. And some pastors use more, some pastors use less, but it's a drop, two or three. We don't have a big thing of Crisco oil over here that we're going to open up and we're going to pour over your head. That's what's happening here. He is being anointed. It is not just a little dab of oil on his forehead. There is a flask of oil symbolizing the anointing of God upon his life into this place of being king. And it's happening, you know, suddenly. It's just all happening one after another. And he says, and I like what he says. This is what I want you to mark. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. Would you mark that? I have anointed you the king over the people of Jehovah, of the Lord. Anytime you see in your new King James, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the translator's way of letting us know that that word is Jehovah. Jehovah. This is the Lord. He's, you're over the people of the Lord. It would be me, easy to miss this verse and read right past it. Except we need to pause here and consider what he's saying. It's not just over Israel, but of the people of the Lord. Now, at this stage in the lives of these people, were they truly worshiping Jehovah? Yes or no? The answer is no. They're worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. They, they have forsaken God, these people of Jehovah. It would have been better to say, I'm going to anoint you king over the people of Baal over Israel. My covenant people, my covenant people that are worshiping idols. And, and God would have been able, as, as this servant came to Jehu, it would have been an accurate thing to call them idolatrous. Israel long ago, from this point in history, forsook God and turned their back on God. Under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel and even before that, they were worshiping Baal. You remember Elijah said, and I quote, you know they've killed your servants and your prophets and I, only I am left and they're trying to kill me when he was discouraged, when he was. And the Lord said, I have 7,000 that I've reserved, but for the most part, the nation had, been, had forsaken God. I've got a few thousand people that follow me. It was encouraging for Elijah. He needed to know that. But considering the millions of people in the, in the nation, you only got 7,000? That few? And the fascinating thing here is that God's not forsaking his people. He's not forsaking his people. It's so encouraging to remember the faithfulness of God to his people. And if he was faithful to the, to the covenant people in the old covenant, like Paul says, I always like, how much more 
for those of you by faith in Jesus Christ that have been blessed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. To the one that God promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There are those that maybe have forsaken the Lord some time back, but the Lord has not forsaken them. God hangs on. The Spirit of the Lord continues to call back into fellowship, to call back to repentance. God doesn't let go so easily. The Lord hangs on even long after we've been guilty of forsaking Him. But God doesn't forsake His people. He doesn't forsake us. What a beautiful thing it is to me that God still says, they're my people. I'm going to anoint you king over my people. And he still has this covenant relationship with those that turn their back on him. He still acknowledged them. As he, you know, you're, you might be listening to this Bible study right now and you've forsaken the Lord. You've turned your back on God. You are still, you might still consider yourself, well, you know, I'm still a part of the church. But in your lifestyle and practices, in your sinful decisions, you've forsaken the Lord. And what does God do? God continues to pursue you. He continues to wait for you. He continues to express his love to you. And the problem is, is that as you forsake God, you think it's not going to end in some kind of consequence. That you can always come back. You know, God will always forgive me. You know, I know if I sin, God will always forgive me. Yeah, yes, you're right. In the blood of Jesus Christ, God will forgive you. But the consequences, they don't go away so quickly. And you know, God's forgiveness comes so quickly, but the people you're burning and the people you're messing around with and the people you're hurting, they're not so quick to forgive. It's painful for them what you're doing. It's painful the decisions you're making. And yet, we're reminded that God, he sets the pattern. And remember, in verse 7, he was told, this is what you need to do, Jehu. You need to strike down the house of Ahab and go after Jezebel. And, you know, what's going to happen to Jezebel? Uh, as she, in verse 10, Jezebel is going to be eaten by dogs. That's a nice bedtime story for your kids tonight. In the vicinity of Jezreel, and there's not going to be anybody there for her. Dogs are going to eat her up. This is Abounding Grace, and you're listening to a portion of a series in 2 Kings from pastor and Bible teacher Ed Taylor. To hear today's message again, go to calvaryaurora.org. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora, and both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app will pop up. You'll be able to access Pastor Ed's teachings there anytime you'd like. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us with financial and or prayerful support. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today, we'll say thanks by sending you Married and How to Stay That Way by Steve Carr. Whether you're on the brink of divorce, not happy with the way things are going in your marriage, or looking for some tools to help take your relationship to the next level, this book is a must-read. It's written in a counseling style with practical encouragement. And there are group discussion questions at the end of each chapter, so this would work well in a small group Bible study. Call 877-30-GRACE or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web to make a secure donation. We have a little bit of time left, so let's see what's coming up tomorrow on Abounding Grace. 
you and I, those of us that are born again, you do not need a pastor to tell you of your own sin. You don't need a pastor to tell you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and continually reminds you of the sin in your life, continually reveals it to you. It might start with a soft whisper, and it might move forward and like be a loud voice. It's, what are you doing, and why are you doing this, and don't go there, and what are you doing here? And on and on the voice of God comes. But there does come a place where you and I can so stifle the Holy Spirit, we can so grieve the Holy Spirit, we, that, we, that our own conscience will be seared, like the Bible says, like with a hot iron, and we become numb to the regularity and habitual sin in our lives. And what you call peace actually is just a numbness of your life and your distance from God. How can there be peace with that in your life? Is a question we have to ask ourselves. How can you truly enjoy the peace that passes all understanding with that in your life? We'll ponder over that very question tomorrow on Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to 2 Kings 9. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 